so many new faces. It's lovely to see you. If you ask what are my legacy to Tadley Community Church, well, it's this lectern. I, uh, I, I got this from the, uh, the throwaway store at Mars Electronics in probably 1993. The other thing I did was that screen, <laughs> which used to be here, and it's, it's got the tilting mechanism so that you over there could see it, you see. So uh, anyway, been superseded. Yes, been asked to speak about our journey of discipleship. So Jan brought the word of the Lord this morning, and I think you'll see a bit later that it's very relevant to what we're going to talk about. So thanks, love. I'll, you want to see something to say? I'm going to pray for Rob because he's really nervous. <laughs> and I just get, you know, the, the easy thing, you know, to pray. But uh, we've been together 43 years, so I kind of get tuned in to how he's feeling today. And it's really great to come back to the old stones, back to our foundations. And we know that whatever we say, you can heckle because you know. Uh, you know, I see Phil and Tina and I see, you know, Meg and I see, you know, Richard Barber. They know us. So if Robert or I say anything that's not true, they can heckle. <laughs> So um, let me just pray. Father God, we thank you for our journey so far. Lord, thank you for the wonderful principles, the teachings, the people who've sown into our lives. We thank you particularly for dear Hugh, who is a father in the faith to us. And Lord, we thank you for our journey to Birmingham and to Melsham. And uh, Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would come and would anoint what Rob says so that it's useful and it gives glory to you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jan. Yes, yeah, so we were married in 1979 and we were then part of Basingstoke Baptist Church, which then became Tadley Newbury and then Tadley Community Church. And and we were serving on the leadership uh, for a while, had a few ups and downs, which was all part of God's process. And uh, we learn the lesson, don't we, that character is more important than gifting. And we then went to the Bible College up in uh, the borders of Scotland, because then the principle with Salt and Light was we would have to take nine months out. And we sold the house that Phil had helped build. We um, gave up my job. And we took six children to the borders of Scotland to live in a little tiny cottage up a track. And Hugh's been there, and a few of you have seen it. And that was a very formative part of our lives. And it was a time of sacrifice, but it was a time of growth. And even now, the children look back on it as a very special time in our lives. We came back. We came back to Tadley. Uh, and then after a while, we felt uh, a call to Birmingham, and I went to work for Rolls-Royce. Uh, and we then, through a various set of circumstances, tried to plant a church with a group of Tanzanians. And again, it was a tricky time. It turns out it had a bit shaky foundations, and it didn't last the year out. But we learned an incredible amount. And the thing about Birmingham is it's so multicultural. You know, what we were experiencing here in Tadley was, to be honest, white middle class. What we got in Birmingham 
was multicultural, multi-ethnic, multi-faith, and we were immersed in a completely new environment. And it was really good for us just to be with a whole new group of people and learn about things and learn about God in a different way. And then, um, to be honest, we weren't really happy in Birmingham. We're not city people. And um, I found a job in, in uh, Bath. So I thought, great, let's move south. And I gave up my job in, uh, in Rolls-Royce. And on the Friday that I uh, had my leaving do and everything, Jan went for some tests. And on the Saturday, she was diagnosed with bowel cancer. Now, that was a challenge, because <laughs> I had burnt my bridges and I couldn't go back to my old job. So then I was stuck in a caravan in a field near Bath, trying to do a job while Jan was going through chemo and everything up in Birmingham. It's quite a challenging time. The house wouldn't sell, and it's all these things that make you question God. But we got through it, and God got us through it, and God's timing was perfect, as usual. And we joined um, a fairly uh, charismatic church in, in a place called Melksham. It was the obvious church to join. But after a while, I felt really uneasy. And I don't really know why. And we, we just were given freedom to go. And we ended up joining a brethren church, an ex-brethren church. So next slide. Let's try it. No, I'm pressing the wrong button. Beep. Go on, you do it. Great. Here we go. Queensway Chapel in Melksham. And for the first time in my Christian life, I actually belonged to a church that had a building. <laughs> and it was amazing, because I did not have to go and set up the flipping altar every week. <laughs> and it didn't just have one building. Next picture. It had another building, a hall. And we were so privileged because we could have space for children's work. We had all the PA set up every week. And, you know, it was just new. But along with the building comes responsibilities, of course. So after 18 months, we suddenly found ourselves on the leadership team. <laughs> and God seemed to have brought a whole group of different people in to this church. So we had a brethren couple. We had Jan and I from the sort of charismatic wing of the church. We had a new Christian. And we were all trying to work together as a leadership team to see God's hand take this church further on. And it was, it was a challenge. Um, let's try the next one. Oops, that the wrong way. Oh, that's right. Right. So it, it, it seems that in our church, maybe it's the same with you, most of it revolves around food. But there would be a weekly um, meal for, for mainly for the elderly, people who, who um, wanted fellowship. Um, we ended up running a meal on Christmas Day. We had 80 people around on Christmas Day just after COVID, or during COVID, you know, that last, this time last year. And it seems to have a really good social consciousness, a really good 
desire to get into the neighbourhood. We're in a fairly poor area of the country. Um, but at the same time, obviously we then got COVID. COVID hit and it was a challenge to us all. We were watching what you guys were doing. We were doing something similar. We were suddenly learning IT skills we'd never had. I wish I'd had shares in Zoom, because they went woof, didn't they? And we found that our musicians that sounded okay, I'm including myself here, sounded okay on a Sunday, do not sound very good when they broadcast. <laughs> and we had to do things differently, and people were craving fellowship and craving prayer. We, uh, we at this time, had a house with lodgers in it. One of our lodgers was a chef. He was unemployed because he, he didn't have anywhere to go. And Jan roped him in, and, and twice a week we started preparing meals in our kitchen, as in at the church, and we did a sort of Meals on Wheels, because there were many people who couldn't get out, couldn't, you know, get, and they were given a nice hot meal twice a week. And it really worked. So we had these army of masked, socially distanced drivers taking food around Melksham. But it's just part of the desire of the church to serve the neighbourhood. But all through this time, one of our friends started running uh, YouTube videos, and he was saying, reset. What is God saying to the churches? And he was convinced God was saying, stop. He was saying, stop your busyness. Stop your meetings. Stop your entertainment. Stop doing stuff for the sake of it and get back to the basics, get back to me. And when COVID ended, we ended up saying, what should church be like when we get back together? How will it be different? How do we stop being events managers and entertainers? And how do we get back to the kingdom? And this is really where we started to explore discipleship. You probably know the word Christian occurs three times in the New Testament. The word disciple, what is it, 170 times? There's something different. At the simple level, a disciple is a learner. A Christian maybe is someone who's got their ticket to heaven, but it's not making a difference in their everyday life. Yes, there's a lot of challenges. Perhaps the word disciple has some heavy connotations. We think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who wrote the book about the challenge, the cost of discipleship, and was himself executed for his faith, along with many others. What does discipleship mean? Is it just for the elite? How do we go from nominal Christianity into an active learning environment. A few months ago I was preaching on the parable of the soils, the parable of the seeds. And the real thing that hit me was that you can be very fatalistic when you listen to that parable. Because you can be the good soil, you can be the bad soil, you can have the weeds. So what? The question is, can that soil change? And the answer is yes. Sorry. Sorry. Can the soil change? Yes. 
And that's really, again, what discipleship is about. It is about change. It's becoming like Jesus. So as a church, we started with Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. Jesus told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey, some versions say observe, all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. Now, as a church, we came up with a tagline, go, gather, grow. That's what we use as our little statement for Queensway Chapel, go, gather, grow. But I think in the past, churches have been very good at the going and very good at the I am with you, but not so good at the teaching them all things. And that's really where we thought we need to focus. So we said, where do we start? Well, the obvious place to start is the Sermon on the Mount. We decided on a teaching series. The most intelligent man who'd ever lived gave us a summary of how to live and be happy. But I'd been a Christian for a long time. And I knew I did not understand the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, and this is where I was thinking of Phil, and I'm amazed he's here today. I can remember the discussions Phil and I had in your room at Heathrow, arguing about what it means to go the extra mile. What it means to give someone their coat. Is it literal? Do we have to do it every time? What's it on about? And I think we had different views then. <laughs> because it's so easy to get into law. That's what we tend to do. We get anything and break it into a series of rules. And, sorry, right. We get into this spiral, don't we? We see something we're meant to do, so we try harder, we get tired, we give up, we get guilty, and we go round and round and round in a works spiral. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is not behavior modification. It's inner change. You don't change by trying harder. You change by becoming a new person. God is not after that just the outward. He's after the inward. We live as Christians under a new covenant. Jeremiah talks about writing the laws on our hearts. Ezekiel says, I'm going to remove your stone heart and give you a flesh heart. The whole picture of us as Christians is to have a new heart, a new way of life. Give, me a, give you an obvious example, driving. Most of us over a certain age can relate to this. In the old days, when we used to drive, 
When somebody cut us up, we would react. Maybe some of you didn't, but I certainly do and did. You get road rage, you get angry, you honk your horn, you flash your lights, you shout. That's, if you like, the old man. That's how we used to work. You become a Christian, and you may well still react like that, but then you start feeling guilty, and you think, oh, sorry, Lord, I've blown it. But then perhaps as we grow, we get to the point where we can control ourselves and we stop flashing our lights, swearing and beeping the horn and so on. So our outward behaviour has changed, but inwardly we still want to do it. The fourth stage that I believe God is after is where we naturally love the people who cut us up. Where we drive, I would always say prophetically, you can see, can't you, if things are about to get worse or somebody's about to come at you, you can take the steps lovingly and patiently and just let them get on with it. And I think that's where God wants us to get to. Driving's an obvious example. What about a meeting at work? where things are starting to get nasty. What about somebody doing something on you? What about somebody hurting you? The ultimate aim is love. That's where God wants us to get to. Good theology leads to good practice. Jan spoke out this morning about us being seated in heavenly places. There are quite a few places in the New Testament where there's a progression of things that we should be learning to do, put on, put off. They start with where we are in Christ. They end with love. So in Colossians 3, we have been raised with Christ. But now you must put away anger, wrath, malice, slander, da-da-da-da. And then put on, as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Look at 2 Peter. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, through, uh, who's called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you can participate in the divine nature. There it is again, the transformed person. Therefore, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, love. So there's an, a passive bit, the bit where we get changed, and then there's the active bit where we have to do some work. 
But Jesus didn't just leave his teaching with us. He sent his Holy Spirit to help us, to live in us. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation to transform us. And Paul, I mean, look, in Galatians, he says, I'm in anguish like childbirth to see Christ formed in you. Paul was wanting Jesus, his image, his nature, to be worked out in the people he cared for. His expectation was growth, was change, was fruitfulness. So the question is, what are we doing every day to become more like Jesus? Is it good enough just to have a quiet time and then get on with your day? Or can you be expecting God to be interacting with you right through the day? I had a situation last, last week. I, um, I was doing something at the chapel. I'd forgotten my phone. But instead of driving back home, I walked. In that journey, I met somebody who just lost his grandchild. You know, I had a chance to talk to him. Then I met someone um, who was getting ready for a wedding. We had all the planning to do. And it was like my mistake leaving my phone had led to these little opportunities for God to work that I would have missed had I been driving. God is at work all through the day in what we do. Discipleship is often called apprenticeship. Now, one picture is Alan Sugar and his cronies, whatever they are. You know, it's got a very high power business view about it. That's not really, I think, what God's heart is. God's heart is training and getting alongside each other. More the picture, the other picture. I was on the train last week and two people came on in... GWR uniforms, you know, the, the yellow tabards, an older man and a younger girl. And all I could hear them talking about was signals. And he was telling her how to work out which signal to follow when you're driving a train. I thought, ooh, there's apprenticeship. There is training. There's an opportunity he was taking to encourage and teach her along the way. And I'm sure that's God's heart for us take every opportunity to encourage each other. Give them the benefit of your wisdom. Teach them something along the way. But then an apprentice is part of a formal program. Have you ever thought Jesus wants you to be on a training program with him? What if Jesus is actually in the process of training us you know, we have the, the verse in Ephesians. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're his masterpiece. Workmanship, work of art. This isn't a production line. You're not all the same. Every one of you has got a different program in God's heart for training. And he's going to do something unique with you. And you know what? It might take 40 years. It's not going to happen overnight. 
I was thinking last Sunday when I was sharing in, in Melksham, I'm very different now coming back to you than how I left. I'm a bit less cocky. <laughs> I don't know as much as I used to do. Because God's at work in my heart. And he's doing stuff. He's still doing stuff. And he longs for us to relate to him in that process. It's a relationship building process. Sorry. Oops, here we go. Did you know you can ask God to teach you? Psalm 32. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Psalm 25. Make me know your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me. There's so many other psalms where the, the psalmist is crying out to God, show me, teach me, help me, train me, help me to break this sin, help me not to be discouraged. You can ask him. So God will teach us. But also, our leaders will teach us. Those around us will teach us. You know, we talk in Ephesians 4, God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So the body of Christ will be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. One of the jobs of the ministry gifts is to equip people, everyone, to perform a work of service and to get away from error. So how do we go about this? Well, I think part of it is to engage in that process. The ministry gifts we talked about. But an area that's new for me and is one that I am only just skating the surface on is, is spiritual disciplines. I can remember reading a book about it many years ago and, and putting it down. Perhaps fasting is the one that we, we perhaps relate to most. Why do we fast? We're not trying to twist God's arm. We're not trying to show him how serious we are. We fast to make ourselves weak and to therefore give God the opportunity to work. But what about solitude or silence? If you're silent, you can't control anything. You can't do anything. If you're in solitude, again, you're cutting yourself off from being able to influence. You're casting yourself on God. And I'm sure there's something in these spiritual disciplines that we can learn from. I, um, we were on holiday at Andy and Shirley's a couple of weeks ago. Hi, if they're watching, because I think they may be. And I went off to Caldy Island for the day. Now, I don't know if you know that, but that is an island off the coast of Tenby, which has got an abbey and um, a monastery. 
Now, I went there 30 years ago, and I was really skeptical. I thought, what a waste of time, all these people over here. This time, I took my Bible, I took my notebook, and I sat in the Abbey on my own for three hours just to be quiet, just to get before God and give him a chance to speak, a chance to work, a chance to listen. And I came away with a fresh desire to just get more involved in the church. But at a different level. I realized, this is my personal thing, I was, in, I was into stuff, I was into fixing things, but I wasn't into people. And God was saying, it's people I'm concerned about, not buildings. So that was just, just me, just for a short time. I'm going to have to work up to longer times. But I think there is something in these disciplines that we can learn from. I have a long way to go. So I felt there's a danger of drifting. I think unless we actively engage with God in the process he wants to work with us, I think we can just wander through our Christian lives, knocked around pillar to post. I think God is saying, get involved, get active, cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he wants to make us more like Jesus. I love it that Paul talks about struggling with all his energy to warn and teach people. It was so, he was so concerned about it that it was a big effort for Paul. He wanted Christ to be formed in the people he cared for. So I realized my goal on a Sunday is not to go to church, have a nice time and go home again. I want to go home different. I want to go home because I've met with God and I've met with his people. And, sorry. And there's been some purpose in our meeting together that means I've changed a little bit and then I've worked with others to help them change because this isn't about selfishness this isn't about just me and Jesus this is about us getting out into the kingdom that God wants us to be involved in so yes I've I've been reading up a lot on discipleship (laughs) and there's one book that I would recommend Dallas Willard's great omission, which is a real summary of his teaching on discipleship. And then his other book, The Divine Conspiracy, which is about the Sermon on the Mount. That's the book that I found so helpful to start understanding what the Sermon on the Mount's about. And um, I would recommend those. So, 
I think I've finished what I want to say. I hope you've just caught my heart, really. God wants us to change to be more like him. It's a process that takes time. And it's a process that involves a loving relationship with him. So, bless you all. It's lovely to be back. Anything you want to add, Jan, or pray? the only thing that I would add and we've talked about before is that um, it's pretty lonely if it's just you and Jesus you know God wants us to be family and he wants us to be in relationship with everyone that comes across our path Christian and non-Christian there's no difference because he made everyone and so um one thing that I would say in our relationship, um, God has very much yoked us equally and he's very much been at the center of our marriage. Um, and one of the things that I prize the most is that Rob makes space for me to be me and hopefully I make space for him as well to be all that God wants him to be. And we try and keep in step um, and I think that is a big message, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, but to keep in step with each other. Um, when I look around, you know, there's um, been times of falling out, <laughs> as well as times of falling in with relationship, and how important communion was today, to just do that heart check again, and to just check that we're okay with each other, and we're okay with God, that we're still in that covenant. Um, and sadly, there are times when we don't make it as God wants us to. We don't get over those obstacles as he would want us to. But he never gives up. He just says, do you know what? <laughs> you didn't do plan A, did you? Well, I've got plan B, and I've also got plan C. And he never, ever gives up. And I think that is just our security underneath of the everlasting arms um, so yeah thank you for what you said and that's just what I'd add mm.